G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. The world's population, now over 7 billion people. In fact, I think uh, probably around 7.3 billion, although I'm sure there's a little bit of uh, uh, difference on the actual numbers, but over 7 billion people. Now, that might be a surprise that the total population is 7.3 billion, but out of that 7 billion, 5 billion people can't access safe, affordable surgery. That's 70% of the entire population of the world. And in the absence of surgical care, common, easily treatable illnesses become diseases with high fatality rates. Well, our opportunity today to reflect on the challenge with the ministry that is out there doing all they can to make a difference in the lives of people in the developing world. Mercy Ships, they're using hospital ships to deliver free, world-class healthcare services to those without access in the developing world. And this week, there's a new feature-length film on the work of the Africa Mercy. It's one of the Mercy Ships hospital ships, and it's been screened on Australian television. I think there's even some more opportunities to see it on TV this week. But let's talk with Alan Burrell, who's the Managing Director of Mercy Ships in Australia. Alan, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you so much, Neil. So good to be here, and and, uh, so good to be with all the listeners too. Hey, Alan, let's talk Mercy Ships for a few moments. Uh, Mercy Ships is primarily a Christian organisation, but you don't tag yourself exclusively as Christian because uh, a big operation that you've got there and uh, some of the skills you need uh, don't necessarily come from people within the confines of uh, being part of a church. Give us some insights into uh, Mercy Ships and the way you operate like that. Yes, I guess uh, that's, that's correct. I think Mercy Ships is really all about acting justly, uh, loving mercy and walking humbly. And I think uh, we believe uh, this is good in the eyes of all men and, and kind of what God calls us to do. I think the founder uh, back uh, in 1978, uh, Don, uh, you know, there was a verse there from Micah 6, 8, I think, and uh, it was really about uh, the, the Lord calling him to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And we find that uh, we have uh, probably about 95% Christians on board the ship, uh, but there are a number of people that uh, have mercy and, uh, and love to come and serve each year uh, time and time again, and they yet... Uh, haven't yet given their given their hearts to the Lord, but uh, obviously some do during the uh, missions overseas, and others yet haven't. So, yeah, it it is amazing the mix of, of uh, both Christians and those with a heart to serve that aren't yet made that decision. 
Well, a fabulous faith-based organisation and listeners, many listeners will be familiar with the good work that you do and because you do such good work, we all feel a part of it, especially when we get to get a bit of an update from you on a day like this and in some sense celebrating because there's a new feature-length film about the Africa Mercy. It's been screening on Australian television screens this week already and there's still probably some opportunity to view it uh, on TV, but uh, give us a little insight into this new feature-length film. Yes, Neil, it's, um, um, I guess some, some of the viewers may have seen, as, as you mentioned, there was series one and two. Uh, it was kind of an award-winning documentary series. Um, uh, let me, I, I think uh, the original film series was made by SBS and um, Media Stockade from Sydney. And uh, this feature film that was on uh, has a lot of unseen footage in there. So previously unaired patients and volunteer stories. It was filmed in Guinea and West Africa. And uh, as, as you say, it follows the life of the uh, volunteers on board the ship and the patients. And uh, there's a particular new patient story in there, which is really, really touching. It's about a young boy with a tumour called Alia. And uh, the tumour is impacting on his airway. And uh, he would have died within just a couple of weeks if it wasn't for uh, Dr. Neil Thomas. Uh, He's from just uh, north of Sydney. And uh, he was serving at the time. And uh, But the film really does feature a lot of Australian medical volunteers, such as Dr. Neil and uh, plastic surgeon, um, Dr. Uh, Nerida Moore from Cronulla in Sydney, uh, um, Brisbane-based physio Nick Belchens, uh, Deb Loudon from Toowoomba. She's a nurse, um, amazing nurse, and uh, and uh, I think it's available on Seven Plus now. That's the catch-up uh, thing, isn't it, Neil? Seven so. Plus. Yep, uh, yep. Yeah. So I think if you go on to Seven Plus and type in um, uh, uh, surgery ship. Uh, then it'll come up there. Also, if you type in Africa Mercy, that's the name of one of the hospital ships, of course, there's another uh, documentary sitting there, which is through Mighty Ships. And uh, it was a um, an, another program, and that shows behind the scenes of the technical people working on the ship. So that's quite interesting as well. Yes, and uh, that one's been out for a few years, and the uh, listeners might have already <laughs> seen uh, the uh, the Mighty Ships uh, documentary. Hey, this is when you talk about those doctors who are on board and uh, Dr. Neil Thomas. Let's just give a little bit of honour to these doctors who serve. Yes. Um, yes. He's an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, and he is uh, and uh, no doubt he'll you know spend some time do a stint of surgery on board and. Uh, and I'm not sure what you call the, you know, what, you know, whether they're spending two months, three months, six months, uh, the, whether they come back again the next year. I mean, I know a lot of doctors do a return uh, serving uh, experience, but when you don't have an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, and you've got someone who else is a like a pediatric surgeon or an orthopedic surgeon, you know, different styles of surgery. Uh, I imagine that some of the work that you do is going to be affected by who is on board at the time. Is that the way it works? We That's a good point. Uh, so what we do generally is we'll go in and we will assess the needs uh, of a country 
And so that will happen in what we call phase two. Uh, so phase two needs analysis right around the country. Then we know exactly which uh, types of volunteers to bring. So there could be um, uh, various types of surgeries needed, you know, women's health surgeries, ophthalmic, uh, dental, you know, maxillofacial, reconstructive, orthopedic, all of those types of things. Um, palliative care, uh, you know, general general surgeries, etc. And then what we do is we schedule those uh, doctors to come, and then uh, we also triage patients and uh, schedule them to come as well, so that patients and and speciality of surgeons are, uh, uh, if you like, correctly timed, so that we're not wasting time of the various surgeons and uh, other medical professionals as they come now. Alan, you have opportunity to speak to groups when you can, when there's no uh, coronavirus lockdown and uh, you've got some access to people. And I know that will have been uh, flattened for you right now too. And uh, no doubt uh, an opportunity like this is very good, be able to speak to listeners all over Australia. But let's come back to the global status of affordable surgery. As I mentioned in the introduction, you've got 5 billion of the world's 7.3 billion population who just don't have any access to affordable surgery. And that just highlights, doesn't it, the enormity of the problem that's there and the enormity of the need for expansion. What are your thoughts on on the fact that there's 5 billion around the world who don't have any access to that sort of medical care? Yeah, it's in, it's incredible, isn't it? You know, as you say, seven point three billion is the is the uh, population, and five billion. So seventy percent of the population of our planet can't access uh, essential surgery. So that generally means uh, timely, affordable, uh, and safe surgery. So as a result of that, there's eighteen million people dying each year. Uh, from lack of access to surgery. And, and Neil, they're not dying good deaths either. You can imagine suffocating. They're not, they're not having palliative care and painkillers and they're, uh, they're dying in, in horrible deaths generally. And so I guess what Mercy Ships is doing is, is helping to alleviate this, you know, through the, through the direct medical care, uh, um, trying to get rid of some of the enormous backlog but the, the key thing here is strengthening the local healthcare systems so that they can better look after themselves after we are gone. Uh, but at this, uh, to this date now, there, uh, there's 143 million more surgeries needed each year to catch up with the, uh, uh, just to, uh, I guess, deal with what's there on a yearly basis. As you say, 18 million lives are lost from conditions that need some level of surgical care. And when you compare that to the numbers of deaths of people, say, from HIV AIDS uh, or tuberculosis or uh, even the, you know, the big one that people will refer to, malaria. I mean, yes. the number of lives that are lost because there's no affordable health care bigger than the lives lost with all those diseases. Yes, it, it's incredible, isn't it? Um, and it's almost near like the, the, the best kept secret. There's so few people know about it now. I mean, this report uh, was brought out originally by the Lancet Commission back in 2015, and then it's been updated numerous times, and uh, the situation is not getting any better. 
So, um, you know, this is a global problem and, uh, and it requires a global response, a community on a global level to get involved. Uh, a bit like uh, what occurred with polio and, uh, and Ebola. So we now need the same thing to, to occur in relation to this lack of surgery. Wow. Hey, uh, when we talk about the, uh, the, uh, the cost of driving a mission like yours uh, with Mercy Ships, and because you're volunteer driven because there's not the costs of of you know supporting a, a workforce and I imagine this is a prohibitive factor if there were going to be state funded uh, style hospital ships like yours and I don't know whether there are I'll get your thoughts there might be a bunch of state funded hospital ships but but the model that you've got works particularly well and and uh, is very functional but but do you, are you aware that there are state funded uh, uh, hospital ships around the world and you might ask why if there are not <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, we know, for instance, you saw uh, in New York, <clears throat> the American vessel, the uh, Mercy, uh, was there to help uh, through COVID. Uh, there is uh, two vessels over there um, that are uh, hospital ships as well, um, and they are they are state owned. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so there are some, yeah. and uh, but yes. clearly uh, there are not enough. When you look at that, uh, you know, seventy percent of the world doesn't have access to that sort of surgical care. You might say, why are there not more state-funded ones? But uh, interesting when we talk about the fact that there isn't a state-funded model that is operating everywhere around the world. It really does bring into the spotlight the motivation of an organisation like Mercy Ships, where you've got an operation that's up and running and is being successful and is meeting the needs of people in poorer nations. And the fact that it is driven by this passionate Christian foundation, uh, that actually is a tremendous testimony, Alan. Yes, it, it is indeed. And I think, um, I think uh, you feel that when you're on board the ship, you know, you, um, you, there's, um, there's this kind of banquet of hope and healing and... Uh, you know, we've invited the poor, you know, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and and uh, all those that they, they can't repay us uh, for for what we're doing there. And uh, but we're just so blessed to be there and and privileged to to be a part of this. And uh, it it gets me out of bed every morning, Neil. Great. And I imagine that people who work in the medical field, whether you're into uh, being a doctor or whether you're a nurse or whether you're any of the other staff that man uh, those sorts of medical facilities, there are those people that can testify to the fulfilment of what it is to see a patient who's discharged, who came in ill and is discharged better. Uh, there's something fulfilling in that. And I imagine that's what you talk about when you've got this sort of, uh, when you mention a, a banquet of hope and healing because people who have no other hope of being able to get some help for what they need, they get it free of charge and they're discharged and they're back into their community ready to live their life. It's quite an amazing thing. It, it is. And, you know, they always ask their volunteers, why, why do you come? Why do you want to help? Uh, and it's amazing door just opens and then <clears throat> the volunteers then have the opportunity, Neil, just to share, share the love of God um, with these, with these patients and uh, that, that are just asking. And, 
it's an it's an amazing amazing thing visions 2020 with neil johnson a biblical perspective on life culture and current events Wonderful to have you with us, the Thursday edition of 2020, and our special guest is Alan Burrell. Alan is the Managing Director of Mercy Ships in Australia. Uh, in a week when the new feature-length film called The Surgery Ship has been screening on Australian television, and you may still have some access to that on 7+, Plus, The Surgery Ship, and uh, talking about uh, the Africa Mercy. Uh, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation and you can respond to our Facebook question today is caring for the needs of the poor a social responsibility or a Christian dimension of the gospel Uh, Alan let me ask you before we move on uh, COVID-19 no doubt there's going there's going there had to be some effects on the work of the uh, Africa Mercy what's happened with COVID-19 and the work of Mercy Ships Yes, that's a, it's a good point, uh, Neil. You know, um, if, if we keep an eye on COVID in, uh, in Africa at the moment, uh, we've got about 630,000 uh, confirmed cases there now. So, um, and I think, um, I think there's about 14,000 uh, that have, uh, that have died. So, but as you know, the issue there is uh, the inability to to be able to test, and uh, uh, that that the, the healthcare systems just aren't aren't up to speed with that. So, really, to assist um, in the Africa COVID nineteen response, what we've done is we've needed really to understand the continent's kind of unique needs because it is different to Australia, it is different to the US. And we learnt a lot during that uh, during the Ebola crisis. So we found uh, that uh, some of the solutions that are deployed in the West uh, countries uh, are not going to work as well across the African country. You know, when we talk about social distancing and washing of our hands often, and uh, access to ICUs and, and government money such as JobKeeper, etc., um, you know, those solutions are not available. So. What we've got is um, the, the consequences, what we're finding of the, is of the world pandemic is hindering Africa's capacity currently to reduce deaths and uh, economic um, kind of disruption there. So I think the, the World Bank in a, in a recent uh, report said that uh, up to 60 million people uh, will be pushed into extreme poverty by the end of this year. Uh, in Africa, so uh, and by acting urgently, I guess uh, what we've, what we've been doing is we've been working uh, on our capacity building programs and uh, infrastructure projects, medical equipment, and uh, the personal uh, what do you call it PPE equipment supplies, um, getting those in, particularly into the sub-Saharan uh, African countries as many as we can. And uh, we've also, which is quite interesting, Neil, we've, uh, uh, we've been pivoting um, some of our uh, capacity building programs into uh, telehealth and online delivery as well. So training, education, mentoring uh, for healthcare workers across sub-Saharan Africa as well. So it's, um, it's giving us an opportunity, I guess, Neil, to put in place some transformational type programs and um, which we wouldn't have done uh, if COVID wasn't here. 
Interesting when you say predictions that 60 million people on the African continent are going to be forced into poverty and uh, people who would not be able to afford any sort of modern day health care. And uh, just honour to you at Mercy Ships, uh, be able to uh, provide that sort of health care into a developing world context where people can't afford it. Uh, and the yes. and the motivation that you have is not profit, because oftentimes we can think even in our own situations here in Australia, and uh, no doubt Western nations more broadly, where health systems become profit driven for so many mm. people. Uh, but uh, but your your motivations are not profit driven, and therefore you're able to go and meet the needs where they really are. The real needs are with the poor and those who can't afford the sorts of surgeries uh, that we might be able to afford here in the West. What sort of stories have been emerging out of the uh, the Africa Mercy and uh, the broader work of Mercy Ships? What sort of stories have you been hearing, Alan? There's, uh, some ma- there's some amazing patient stories um, that, are, that are coming through, Neil. Um, you can imagine, we had a patient called Sembane, and uh, he was 60 years of age, which is quite un- unusual there as well because obviously the, uh, the people, uh, people don't generally live quite this long. But um, uh, I think when he was 40, he developed this little tumour and uh, in Australia, of course, we could have that dealt with uh, by our local GP, pop down and have the, have the uh, little tumour just cut off. But uh, he was living in Madagascar at the time and there was no access to a doctor. So that tumour grew for 20 years. And so it, it became so large. Um, he'd stopped praying. He was a Christian fellow. He'd stopped praying. And he didn't believe that uh, he would ever have, re- have relief and uh, he said that uh, he was just waiting to die. Um, he heard about the hospital ship coming because we always make sure that uh, for about a year we're letting people know uh, that we're coming and, and what we'll be able to do. And so he decided that um, he'd take a chance and he walked uh, for three days uh, down to reach us. And uh, when he finally arrived at the African Mercy, the screening team uh, saw him and uh, and rushed him in for a CT scan because we had the CT scanners on board, and it was one of the biggest tumours um, that the team had ever seen um, in the 40 years uh, plus history of Mercy Ships. It was over eight kilograms on the side of his neck and face, and uh, it, w- it was just amazing. And Sambane said that he was just just waiting to die, um, but they pulled him in for surgery. Uh, it took 12 hours, and uh, and and thank thank the Lord, this eight kilogram tumor tumor was removed. Many of the volunteers had to be in uh, donating their blood uh, during those 12 hours because he lost so much blood. But uh, after recovery, you know, we were able to take him back to his village um, and uh, show the village members uh, this new fellow, if you like, <laughs> eight kilograms removed. And uh, but also to show the villagers that he wasn't cursed, um, because they often believe that um, this thing has come upon them because they're cursed. And it was good to see him welcome back. Yes, and uh, interesting to bring into the conversation this idea of curse or blessing, and 
uh, no doubt, uh, tribal religion and the sorts of religious practices in some parts of Africa there. Because uh, when we talk about a miracle, sometimes when we're, as Christians, thinking about miracles, we think about a some form of wonderful recreative miracle that God does instantly and corrects something that was wrong. But when a yeah. mercy ship arrives on the shore and there's opportunity for those sorts of operations and other medical care to take place, that is in itself a miracle for people. So it's like, you know, I reflect on that uh, Bible verse, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And there is a certain sense in which I can just imagine how the people, uh, particularly in those poor West African nations, when the mercy ships arrive and opportunity to have treatment that they would never be able to afford, never be able to access. Uh, that is in itself like a miracle, Alan. Yes, it is indeed. Um, um, that miracle of bringing that hope and that healing <clears throat> is such a wonderful privilege, really, um, for us to be able to pass on, on to others. Um, you know, and it's also that, that love that goes with it because, you know, we can have the most professional world-class services but uh, without love then we're missing the mark because what we find is you know that that uh, love always protects and it always trusts and it's always there to hope and preserve and and it never fails and so and and for us that's uh, I guess one of the ingredients that goes with it you know, I've got the Facebook question that's happening in just a minute or so in the lead-up to the news here. The question I'm asking, is caring for the needs of the poor a social responsibility or a Christian dimension of the gospel? And I've got to say that the responses so far, uh, 21% of responders saying social, uh, and then 79% saying a Christian dimension of the gospel. And and I wonder whether you've got a thought on the question before we go to the news, Alan. I would suggest it's both. <laughs> yep. Sorry about that. And no, that's all. That's good. I mean, this is uh, sometimes there's no right or wrong answer to these questions I ask, as listeners will know. But but yes, you're right. You, both. Just enlarge just for a moment. I think um, we we know that uh, it, it's part. We know that the poor uh, will always be with us. Um, it's what Jesus said. So, Yes, they'll, they'll always be with us. And uh, it's part of our responsibility there to, to be uh, loving and protecting and supporting them. But there's also social programs uh, that, are av- that we need to make available to them. And uh, so I, I see there's both dimensions there. Alan's the Managing Director of Mercy Ships in Australia. And Alan, just before we move on, Uh, I wonder whether uh, I might just uh, reflect a few thoughts that listeners have been responding to with our Facebook post today. Uh, The Facebook question that I'm asking is, is caring for the needs of the poor a social responsibility or a Christian dimension of the gospel? And uh, some of the responses, Andrew says, uh, really it's both. But the social responsibility derives its origins from the Christian values of loving and caring and sharing. I wonder whether uh, you've got a thought on that. That's something along the lines of what you were saying a little earlier. I totally agree with that. I think, uh, you know, God uh, has compassion on the poor and he calls us to, 
if you like, reflect his compassion, doesn't he? And and I think uh, that that that's so true. So if if God's identifying with the poor and calling us to uh, to have compassion on the poor, um, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, some other comments. Uh, an interesting one. Josh says. The question needs some qualification. Well, the question's uh, one of those. Maybe it doesn't have a right or wrong answer. But Josh says the current social justice movement in the church today is cultural Marxism and a perversion of Scripture. Now, that's an interesting one. And uh, reflecting on uh, Josh's uh, comment there because of perhaps some uh, some recent conversations we've been having on this program, yes, there is a social justice hijack that has happened by some areas of cultural Marxism. And if I might just uh, qualify uh, for Josh the sorts of things here, I think that there is wisdom required to decide uh, what sort of social justice comes under a social Marxism banner and what social justice might come under uh, the idea of Christian compassion. Uh, Do you have a thought at all for Josh, uh, Alan? Well, I think I, I think when we look at social justice, it's it's kind of like the view that everyone deserves uh, equal economic, um, I guess, uh, and, and social rights and opportunities. I, I guess that's what he's meaning. Do you think, Neil? Yeah, I, let's uh, let's leave that alone. But uh, just to say, uh, be discerning as to which areas of social justice. Uh, are connected there. In fact, uh, one of the uh, comments here from Robert says it does include both, but I believe as a Christian, the scriptural teaching of the Good Samaritan uh, should should have our foremost motivation. Now, there's a powerful uh, biblical yes. illustration there of uh, something similar to what you're doing with uh, Mercy Ships. It's a Good Samaritan-type ministry. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, that's... Uh, I love that. I might use that. I'll just make a note of that. (laughs) (laughs) Jade says, uh, both really, but my conviction of faith means I can't sit back and say she'll be right or someone else can do it or stick my head in the sand because I know better. There's a certain sense there in which uh, if you do know better, then you've got this responsibility to do something about that, haven't you? We do indeed. We do indeed. Okay, let's uh, we'll reflect some more of those comments. Uh, you can respond to that poll question today. Is caring for the needs of the poor a social responsibility or a Christian dimension of the gospel? Uh, you can find that at uh, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Hey, let's move on, Alan. Uh, let's talk about why you might even be using a ship like the Africa Mercy in the first place. Ships provide, no doubt, a real versatility to be able to respond Respond to needs. Uh, give us some insights into uh, the use of ships for a ministry like yours. Yes, it's it's interesting actually. It uh, all goes back to the origins of, of Mercy Ships. But uh, what we found is that fifty uh, percent of the world's population lives in that one hundred and sixty kilometre uh, kilometre radius to the coast. So um, we're able to sail to. This uh, modern hospital shop, if you like, with a with a crew of uh, nearly 500 volunteers, directly uh, into uh, the uh, into ports, and they uh, provide that access. So this also gives us kind of uh, a number of advantages, Neil, because not only access to people, but uh, 
also it's a safe uh, foray for volunteers so they're they're accommodated in a secure environment and uh, if there's an unfortunate event or civil unrest in the country uh, we can get the uh, the volunteers and the uh, and the self-contained hospital we can evacuate them quickly and move on to the next assignment without loss of investment or or capabilities. And I imagine that's not to underrate the land-based hospitals that are being established in those poorer nations because they're obviously very important too for an ongoing uh, sustainable way of caring for the health needs. But in your case, of course, as you say, when most of the population of the world is gravitating towards the coast, it seems logical that you'd use a ship and uh, you've got such versatility with the Africa Mercy and so Mercy ships doing uh, also, the sorts of provisions and the capabilities that you can install in a ship. Now, as I understand it, Alan, uh, on board the Africa Mercy, you've got something like five operating theatres, you've got an intensive care unit, you've got ophthalmology, yes. you've got CT scanners, x-rays, laboratories, and a recovery ward uh, for 82 patients, and there's something like uh, provision for 400-odd staff on board. So you really are self-contained. Yeah, very self-contained, and uh, it's uh, the good thing is that a, a nurse or a doctor can arrive, um, uh, go to sleep that night, wake up in the morning, go down to the operating theatre uh, or the hospital, and there they've got a first-world hospital. They can fit in with what's happening uh, with um, uh, with with no no issues. The power's on. Uh, they've got a clean environment, sterile equipment, and because uh, and, we make our own power, we make our own sterilization, and we make our own water. Um, so it's, uh, it's, all, it's all ready to go. And I imagine it's a huge advantage too, having online connection to uh, some other consultation if required. And that must Absolutely. make a huge difference too, because uh, your doctors on board are not on their own. Absolutely, isn't it brilliant? Now you know you kind of think of this uh, uh, of the developing nations, but we're able to beam in. We've got satellite connections in, and uh, we can uh, bring into the operating theatres their expertise uh, as needed from around the world, and uh, that's becoming more and more. And uh, we're also using that out in the field as well. So instead of uh, because of <clears throat> situations like COVID and uh, Ebola. We can't have uh, big lines of 12,000 people lining up at the ship now. So we do uh, this kind of triaging around the country over, over a period of time as we're triaging and, and organizing patients to come down to the ship. And uh, so we use uh, technology for that and uh, telephone technology like uh, an app. <laughs> Just amazing, really. So we can use that app then to... Uh, to show uh, the, the the patient's uh, conditions and bring in expertise, and and um, so that the patient doesn't have to come all the way down uh, to the ship for uh, for triaging. Alan, you've got all of these people on board, and uh, we said a little earlier something like 95% of everyone on board is likely to come from a Christian background. What sort of you know devotional opportunities, uh, church services, uh, connection by way of uh, you know Christianity? What sort of things happen on board, and is and does that overflow uh, into 
the nations where you're serving. And I'm, I'm sure there's some sensitivity there because uh, you might not be able to in some of the nations. But, but what happens uh, so far as spirituality on board? Yes, so, so we have uh, the uh, we have uh, the Bible studies uh, are available every day. There's uh, prayer uh, before uh, we start work every day. Uh, there are small groups of various uh, types of, uh, of of groups. There are worship sessions uh, um, and uh, and uh, church services. But you know we're also able uh, to provide off ship ministry opportunities as well for volunteers. So. Uh, we work along uh, existing organizations and uh, local churches to strengthen them. Um, each year we'll reach uh, between ten and 12,000 souls for Christ, which is great. Uh, we'll provide Bibles both in print form and, uh, and digital form now and uh, audio form, format as well. Um, so our volunteers get to spend time listening, you know, praying, counseling and teaching and speaking time uh, with uh, patients and others um, we've also got chaplaincy program as well and uh, that's great for one-on-one -on -one, uh, with the patients one-on-one -on -one with uh, the caregivers and of course in the palliative care type program as well and I imagine that when there is a ship in the dock and the people of that city recognise what it's there for and they recognise that it is a mercy ship, it's the Africa Mercy, and there's a Christian tag on there, there is the gospel arriving on those shores with a demonstration of the love of God, which is such a powerful uh, illustration of what it is to be a part of a gospel service. And hey, let me ask you about the sorts of profiles of the people that are really the type of people who will put up their hand mm. and say, hey, I want to be on the Africa Mercy because it's not going to be for everyone. And uh, we did talk a little bit earlier about, you know, the sorts of doctors and nursing staff and uh, support crew that you've got on board. But is there a particular profile of the sort of person that uh, that usually puts their hand up and says, I want to volunteer? That's a good good question, actually. So we, um, my understanding is we've had volunteers from as young as 18 and, and as old as 94. So I'm assuming that uh, that covers most of our listeners today. So, But what we find in common is that our volunteers are kind of amazing, selfless people. Uh, you know, they're donating their time, their expertise and their money to help. Uh, they pay their own way, uh, their own vaccination to travel, uh, they board and keep, and they even donate their blood as needed. So the volunteers uh, always come back and say that volunteering uh, not only changes the lives of those that, that they're serving, but it also changes them, changes them as volunteers. And uh, what we're looking for is all kinds of volunteers. So there's a need for medical and non-medical. And uh, people, when they see the TV programs, they think that there's only medical volunteers, but no, it's not true. There's uh, volunteer positions, general roles such as you know, dining room assistants, gallery staff, hos um, uh, hospitality and you know, housekeepers, staff, uh, that type of thing, uh, receptionists, uh, teachers, writers, photographers. There's also technical uh, roles, Neil, such as deckhands and able seamen and maritime engineers, those type of people, carpenters, plumbers. And uh, because we're building um, and uh, refurbing clinics and that type of thing throughout the country. 
There's also the medical roles and uh, nurses, dentists, dietitians, GPs, uh, biomed techs. We need a lot of those. Um, pharmacists, physios, um, radiologists, surgeons, uh, those type things. The, the time commitment, I think, Neil, is the interesting one. So some surgeons might come for two, uh, two weeks or four weeks at a time. Um, and then other positions uh, may require a longer commitment, such as uh, up to two years. So, for instance, the school on board, uh, teachers uh, in the school, maybe uh, that that some of those will be serving for two years. The captain, for instance, uh, they'll be volunteering for two years, etc. Wow, even the captain is a volunteer. And uh, yep. when you say, yes, obviously uh, teachers on board, the number of people that you have to run an operation like that is amazing. And no doubt people will have seen some of their own skills in uh, in some of those things that you've been mentioning there. Uh, others might be actually quite surprised because when you say, well, yes, everyone's a volunteer, even from the captain right on down, including your own airfare, including those travel costs to get there and the immunisations, the passports, sports, insurance, uh, all of yeah. those sorts of things. And and then you just take it an extra mile there and you say, we even want your blood. I don't know whether people have a bit of a laugh when you start to say that. Hey, when you're on board, we want your blood as well. That's a pretty amazing thing. <laughs> the, the medicos tell me it's the best blood to have is the fresh blood. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, look, and for some that might be a turn-off and others are going to say, that's the sort of ministry I've been looking to serve under. Hey, the nations around the world, Alan, that have the greatest needs, uh, the Africa Mercy clearly serving off the West African nations there. Uh, You mentioned Guinea, and uh, there's a number of other nations you might like to let us in on those nations where the needs are really greatest, where the Mercy ships really need to be. Where are the, the hot spots that there's real need right now? That's a that's a good point. Actually, uh, you're right. There are, there are 44 countries located kind of be- below that uh, Sahara Desert, and, and we know that, of course, as the Sub-Saharan Africa, and and that's really our mission. Those 44 countries. So, uh, I think according to the IFC, uh, people in uh, Sub-Saharan Africa have the worst health care in in the world. So. Uh, Sub-Saharan Africa carries about 24% of the of the global disease burden, and uh, it accounts for half half the deaths of uh, children under five. Um, and from memory, it has the highest maternal mortality rate, uh, and bears, as you said before, there the, the the heaviest toll, I guess, of HIV/AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. And so. Um, It has also the largest gap uh, when it comes to accessing essential surgery. So the regions, uh, the the entire region there lacks uh, sufficient infrastructure to provide basic health care to the majority of people. And uh, the scale of the challenge across those 44 countries is of global significance. And and I always say that, uh, you know, it requires a global effort really to, to remedy that. Does anybody ever put a uh, a figure on the services delivered? Because if you were putting a commercial value on what you deliver with a hospital ship as serving those uh, people in those poorer nations, does anyone ever put a figure on that? What's a, what's it worth over the over the years, Alan? Yes, 
um, it's uh, I think it's currently around 1.7 billion US dollars is the is the figure that's been put on it, and uh, of treating I think more than 2.7 million people now. So uh, not only with um, not only operations, um, but also the um, the uh, Treatment of patients in the villages. I think we've treated something like uh, over 600,000 um, patients in villages. Uh, educated, I think about 35, 40,000 uh, local healthcare workers now. Um, about 1,100 community development projects like water, sanitation, education, uh, you know, infrastructure and stuff uh, across uh, 57 developing nations now. So. Yeah, about okay. one point one point seven billion US. I don't know what that is now in uh, Aussie dollars. We seem to have uh, they seem to be strengthening back up again now. So. Yes, well, in Aussie dollars, uh, that's well over the two billion, and so uh, pretty amazing sort of value of what has been delivered. Hey, we yeah. mentioned COVID nineteen earlier. Some of the upsets there. Uh, is there any uh, whereabouts is the Africa Mercy now, and uh, and uh, you know is there is it uh, is it actually functional right now? Has there been any restriction? Is it more need than ever because of COVID nineteen? Yeah, I think the the need for us um, has been uh, this transformational scaling for uh, for COVID nineteen. So yeah, that scaling. How do, how do we get as much help as we can quickly into the country? Uh, and across those uh, uh, into the continent and, and across those nations and and for us that's been really that you know that telehealth and that online education training and mentoring and and uh, that's been so so important for us and then getting uh, the uh, PPE equipment in there so that uh, that uh, we can use that personal protection equipment in but. Uh, the Africa Mercy uh, on Monday started its annual uh, maintenance period, and so uh, that's uh, what we generally do each year. Is the uh, the ship will be ten months uh, in a uh, country location, and then it will be two months uh, out, and it's currently in its out period, and then it will be going returning back to Senegal. And it's good timing, really, because uh, once Senegal is uh, borders are back opened again, there, and we'll be starting to, uh, we'll be able to uh, get back in. So, okay, so there is a maintenance period now, and uh, no doubt you'll be looking for expressions of interest from listeners to our conversation today. For those who are thinking, well, I wouldn't mind doing a stint aboard the Africa Mercy. Uh, So, uh, let me just give uh, listeners a a connecting point here. Uh, If you want to be involved, uh, mercyships.org.au. And uh, no doubt there are budgetary needs as well, and uh, you'd no doubt need uh, a few more friends and partners, uh, prayer partners, as well as people who are financial contributors. Uh, Alan, what's the needs financially? Uh, I mean, how does uh, you know how does the whole thing function? Mostly volunteers, but hey, it, uh, it's still going to need some some dollars to function, isn't it? It, it does indeed. We generally uh, require around twenty four million uh, each year, Neil, to uh, to to have the ship. Uh, there and operating and making our own, making our own electricity and water and uh, and uh, feeding, feeding all the patients and all of that. Um, so um, 
we look for we look for financial patient uh, for partners there. So there are people that sign up for as um, you know for as little as twenty five dollars a month on a kind of a regular donation type thing, and then there are other partners who want to. Uh, do kind of annual projects they want to do, say, I want to build a hope center uh, or I want to build uh, or I want to refurbish a, a dental clinic or and those type things. So we have those type of uh, partners as well. We also have partners like Johnson & Johnson uh, that provide uh, sutures and uh, bandages and partners like Elcon that provide the, uh, the lens for cataracts, etc., cetera, uh, which are really great. And as you said, there are other partners that, that, are, that are praying. So we, we always say, give, go, or pray. And uh, so that's, that's a way that people can help. And uh, so uh, that's the three ways, I guess, Good. that people can, can be involved. Give, go, or pray. And the Mercy Ships website, mercyships.org.au. Keep your eye out for the new feature-length film. It's called The Surgery Ship and it's being aired on Australian television this week. mercyships.org.au and uh, they want you. So make that contact and find out how you can be a part of Mercy Ships when they're back in action after this short maintenance period. Uh, Alan Burrell, just great getting your insights. Thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil, uh, and really appreci- appreciate you and, and uh, the listeners and the, uh, the Ministry of Vision and, uh, and uh, our prayers and uh, blessings to you all. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 